Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jada Gomez, executive editor at Bustle, and welcome to another super impactful episode of The Bustle Huddle. Today, we've got Nadia Okamoto, an incredible, total goals kind of girl. She's a Harvard student. She's an activist. She is the author of Period Power, and she's only 20 years old, like insanely inspiring. So Nadia's book is about her passion, periods. And for many of you out there who are squeamish about this topic, you're going to want to stay tuned because this conversation might actually help you rethink the way that you think about menstruation. And especially since we're coming out of the midterms and women's issues are super important and at the top of mind for so many Americans, this conversation helps us own our own bodies and control our own narrative. So with that, let's just get to the conversation. So first things first, in your intro, your book starts with the story of how you got your first period in that oh my gosh, all too familiar scenario of feeling like you were dying. So can you walk us through that moment in 2010 (laughs) that you felt so prepared for, and then you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I got my first period, I think I was 12 years old. Yeah, 12. Um, So my family and I, we were just about to fly over to New York City from Portland, Oregon. We always, my sisters and I always flew out the day after Christmas to change from our mom's house to our dad's house. And right before we went to the airport, I like felt like I needed to go to the bathroom. So I ran to the bathroom. I like took me on my pants, went pee, like shivered because, you know, when you pee, like all the warmth leaves your body. uh (laughs) Um, And then I just remember looking down at my underwear and just like freaking out. Like, immediately thinking I was bleeding from the inside out. I think I had just seen some sort of doctor's show, one of those emergency hospital room stories. Um, So I thought I was bleeding out, and I, like, took off my underwear and my pants, and I ran into the living room, and I was like, Mom, I'm dying. Like, immediately started apologizing for dying so young, like, freaking out, really, really feeling like I was like that was the end like this was the end of my short-lived life um and my mom just sort of looked at my underwear and then broke out into smile and was like you're a woman you're a woman and like it became this celebratory thing of me getting my first period yeah it's like 2010 I'm out this is it I'm done exactly (laughs) life over I love the relationship that you had with your mom in terms of route 66 where you were able Mm. to talk about menstruation and sexuality and things going on with your body and even in that moment of actually getting your period, you still had that feeling of, oh, my God, what is going on? Yeah. So did you feel afterwards that you were prepared for this, like your mom said, journey into womanhood? You know, I don't really know if anyone can be truly prepared. Like, um, as you said, my mom and I used to go to this restaurant in New York called Route 66. And it was our code word for when I needed to ask her all these, like, you know, quote unquote, adult questions about bodies and sex and what when my boobs will come in, which I was very excited for. Um, but also, I think a big part of it was 
no matter how much you know about what's happening in your body, no one, not even you, will know how much blood there will be, right? What color the blood will be, what smell the blood will be, right? And it, I think that there's no way to really prepare you for the first time. You look down and you don't expect to see blood, and it sort of might look like a big massacre happened in your underwear, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that even though I knew what menstruation was, I was very excited for it. I had owned panty liners on my desk for way too long. Um, I think I still wasn't prepared for the actual experience of it. I think that that is such a common experience. I know I got my period when I was 15 and I just remember being like the last and just like wanting this experience to happen and then like still feeling like, oh my God, like now it's here and these are all the things that I have to like know about it, even though I felt like so, so prepared. Well, and you and I like came from families that might have prepared us and we had this excitement for periods. So I think that the reason I really wanted to open the book by sharing my first period story is because everyone who gets their period has a first period story. I know I'm very lucky because I come from a family where my mom was open about talking about periods and that when I needed period products, I could go to her and say that I needed them, right? But I know so many people who got their first period and their experience was not being able to tell anyone, having to make shift pads or tampons because they didn't feel comfortable asking for one. And so I really wanted to break the ice with my book by just saying, here's my period story, sort of saying, what's yours and why is your is the way it is. And that that's a really good point that I wanted to touch on as well. Like you have such a great relationship with your mom. Clearly, I have one as well. But for those who didn't grow up with moms who are as open as ours, what's some advice that they might be able to put into practice later in life to feel mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable about what's happening with, with their bodies? It's like almost like learning in reverse. Yeah. Well, I would say not even just moms, but also like dads too, or any parents, regardless of like gender binary or whatever because I think so much of this work is not even not necessarily talking about period poverty or these bigger issues but simply just breaking the stigma around periods right just say the word period don't treat it like it's a bad word don't treat it like it's something that you have to only talk about in the bathroom with a closed door whispering because it's something shameful and something you have to hide but just talk about it openly like this is something that's going to happen to you if you're assigned female birth for the majority of your life on a monthly basis and we're going to figure out how to deal with it. I think it's not making it a big celebratory thing or making it something that you're dreading, but just simply saying it's going to happen. And it's sort of a beautiful part and natural part of life. Yeah. And, you know, I really loved in your book that whole idea of like when you have your period and you you either like, you know, throw a pad in your pocket mm-hmm. or you're like trying to like put something under your shirt and you're like running into the bathroom. And it's like here at Bustle, we work with, you know, 99% yeah. women. And I'm like, why am I doing that? I totally do that. Yeah. So yeah. like, I love the fact of just kind of dismissing those. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah. And then that's okay. So, you know, you're so young. I just, I'm so excited. Literally, I was reading, well, as I was reading your book and I'm like, okay, 2010. I'm like, do the math and I'm like she is so young and such a rock star um what motivated you to get into period activism so young so I got in when I was about 16 years old my passion for periods comes from a really personal place I founded the organization after my family experienced living without a home of our own and during that time my commute to school turned from about 12 minutes to over about two hours long each way and where I would change buses on public transportation was in Old Town Portland which is an area where they're like 10 homeless shelters in a two-block radius. 
And I would regularly see these homeless women, you know, who were in much worse living situations than I was in. And at the time, I just became fascinated by stories of hardship, you know, like trying to distract myself from what my family is going through and better understand, like, the spectrum of privilege, mm. as I called it. Because I think that, you know, I knew my family was, quote unquote, legally homeless. But, you know, when I would talk to these women, I realized how privileged I was. And when I was at school and my friends had multiple homes, I felt like very on the other end of privilege. Mm. So I was sort of always asking them, like, what's the most challenging thing about your living situation? How did you get here? How do you take a shower? Like, I was so curious about it and sort of through those questions I accidentally collected this anthology of their stories of using toilet paper socks brown paper grocery bags and cardboard to take care of their period and I remember like specifically this one woman who would demonstrate to me how she would make these things right and how she would pull off a piece of the cardboard and take off the sides and rub it between her hands so that the ridged part became sort of a softer menstrual pad and it sort of just like lit this thing inside of me like this fire of passion because I was like even in this time when it was so easy to feel helpless and like I couldn't help my family like realizing that I had never had to use trash to take care of my periods. But also sort of on the stigma, I would notice that us, both of like me and this person sitting there, both who had our period, even if no one was around, would whisper the word menstruation and whisper the word period. And so it sort of catalyzed this sort of passion in me of like anger that people had to use trash and anger that we had to whisper about the word period. So... And I swear I have friends when I say this, but like in my free time, I would like lock myself in rooms and just like Google things about menstruation and write them on post-it notes. And I learned that periods are the number one reason why girls miss school in developing countries and like the single event that leads to them dropping out of school, getting married early, undergoing female gender mutilation and social isolation. And then in the U.S., learned about how at the time, 40 states in the U.S. had a sales tax on period products because they're considered a luxury item, mm -hmm. right? In meanwhile, products like Rogaine and Viagra are considered more of necessities. So to me, I was really like, okay, old man hair growth interactions in the U.S. for the most part are considered more of a necessity. Absolutely. over half of our population feeling clean, confident, capable 100% of the time. And I think that all of that sort of formulated in this like, why isn't anything being done about this? And I'm going to do something about it. What are things that we can do as women who are of some privilege to raise awareness about what's going on? I mean, I think I always think that the first step is just to sit, talk about periods, right? Like talk about your period, talk about the period experience, talk about period products, talk about the tampon tax, and then just start talking about period poverty. Because I think that it's so surprising to realize, because menstruation is such a private experience in our society. Like it's really something that you deal with by yourself and you don't share with the world, right? And so thus people don't ask each other questions about their periods all the time. I mean, I do, but that's very like now I do. But I think a huge first step is just getting people to try to empathize with other period experiences, right? So when you start conversations about period poverty, it's surprising to me always the lack of people who've even thought about what it's like for someone else to get their period. And I think that just being able to open up that conversation and say, what if you got your period and you like didn't have access to period products? Or what if you got your period and you were an inmate and you were only allocated three menstrual pads a week and that's mm. all you got? And at the same time, you had to try to figure out how to clean your cell and other needs that you didn't have access to hygiene items for. And I think that the first step is just saying, like, open your mind to empathize with it. Think about what other experiences are like when you don't have the privilege of spending like $10 a month getting period products. And I think that's a really immediate, easy step to just get people to sort of have that like aha moment. And so I think that that and like being able to start those conversations in person and social media are huge. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. I wanted to kind of double back. So obviously, Viagra and Rogaine are considered necessities where feminine hygiene products are considered luxury, which is just insane. And I feel like a little bit of that has to do with the fact that men are kind of, we remove men almost naturally out of the period conversation. So what would be your advice to kind of debunking some of that stigmas with boyfriends who aren't comfortable with, you know, picking up tampons for you if if necessary, or for dads who kind of leave the period conversation to moms. What are ways that we can kind of debunk that? Because I think with that, it will help for people to understand the fact that these taxes are even an issue. Yeah. Well, and that's where I would say maybe we should just give them all copies of my book. Yes. (laughs) When I wrote this book, I was really like, I want to write this for people who don't get their periods too. So it was actually really hard to write this book because I kept wanting to say, when you get your period, when you stick a tampon in. But I really went through the book and was like, how can I make this super accessible for everyone? When I was younger, I would tell my dad I need to to go get a period product and he would throw 20 bucks at me and just say, okay, go take care of it, right? Sounds about right. he did not want to talk about. (laughs) But I think that I always say, like, we need to have men in that conversation or, like, all people because I think that a huge part of this is saying we want every menstruator to feel confident, capable, ready to reach their full potential. And if they're hiding their own experience, they're afraid to talk about, like, period pain or access to period products, this will continue to go unaddressed on an individual level. But also at like a much higher level, we still have extreme systemic barriers towards menstrual equity. The fact that in 2018, almost 2019, 36 states still have the tampon tax, right? Still, when you go into restrooms and schools, period products are not usually free and accessible. There might be a tampon dispenser, but it's usually empty. And I think that when you look at, you know, the systems and how they're governed, still in the U.S., less than 20% of our congressional positions are held by women. If that 80% of positions that are held by men are afraid to talk about periods, this will continue to go unaddressed. When you look at the tampon tax and how that's a decision really, you know, made by the governor at the end of the day, if that's a man sitting there and who is afraid to talk about periods and doesn't want to acknowledge it as a natural need, it will continue to go unaddressed. So I think at every level, we need people who are non-menstruating, but in higher positions of power by you know, usually white male privilege, like you need to be able to have them talking about periods as well. I love it. And I do want to double back into the way that the tone of the book, it was definitely a book that I felt I needed when I was 16, because even though my mom was so open about periods and sexuality and like really wanting Mm -hmm. to answer all of my burning questions, I was just kind of this shy, modest kid that just just give me what I need and please yeah. leave me alone. Yeah. Um, but having the book would have been just so great, even just, you know, opening it and feeling like, all right, this is someone who understands my experience, gets my experience, isn't talking down to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that absolutely it would be a great um, a great addition for men or even young boys. Like yeah. it doesn't even need to be men yeah. we can start. Because, I mean, there are so many like period jokes and, you know, within yeah. our current administration and even when Hillary was running and people would say, oh, what if she gets her period? Yeah. And it's like, well, she's, Too old. you know, not going to probably get her period while she's president. Yeah. Sure that's yeah. <laughs> yeah that's um, well, and I think that it's like a big uh, one of the other things I wrote in my book was also about talking about periods sort of as a human issue and not as a women issue. Because 
because when you look at how what the world is facing in terms of global development and needing to empower women and achieve gender equality to really, you know, empower 100% of our global population to break the cycle of poverty and, you know, excel, we need to hit gender equality. And you can look at how gender equality is defined from, you know, access to education and healthcare and employment opportunities and access to decision-making positions. And still, periods are a huge obstacle in all of those categories. And so I think it's all people need women to achieve. At the same time, I'm always also wary of talking about periods in the gender binary, and that's why I use the term menstruators a lot, um, because it's not only women who menstruate, but also people who might be trans or non-binary and not identify with uh, as a man or a woman, but also get their period. So out of all of the nicknames and all of the euphemisms for the word period, which one is your absolute least favorite? Shark Week. Ooh. Yeah, that's a really common one, too. I always hear, like, it's Shark Week, and I'm like, the imagery of that, meaning, like, there's sharks, you know, that's like a very violent thing happening between your legs, right? And so I don't love that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful one. The other thing I hate hearing people say is when boys talk about manstrating. Yes. Right? When You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, when, when, like, a boy is being, like, more emotional or a little bit scared, you know, the other word I hate is, like, when they call that a pussy. But I think that I always say, like, oh, they're just manstrating or they're PMSing. And I think using the term PMS or, like, talking about cramps or manstrating in, like, a very joking way like, I mean, I am guilty of laughing at that when I was in middle school, but I think now I'm like, that just perpetuates this idea of being like less capable, you're in, like invalidating your emotions, invalidating your pain in a time when that pain and emotions can be very real. Absolutely. And it just moves, it moves men or young boys yeah. at the time, middle school, are so much farther away exactly. from the idea of knowing that like menstruation is like yeah. normal. It just makes it so ostracized. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Something that I noticed while reading is that you kept mentioning tampons instead of pads within the book. So the reason I talked about tampons a lot more than pads is simply because there's a lot more history and variations of tampons, right? When you look at pads and you look at the original one with like the belt and how the pad works, you know, the only major progress on it was that they stuck an adhesive to the end, right? And it beca- and got rid of the belt. But with tampons, it really has been like the first time someone tried to make it and it was like a condom stuffed with cellulite cotton with holes poked into it, made by a young man, by the way. Mm. It went from that to then being like sort of a tube of cotton with cardboard on it. And then it went from like the pla- went to the plastic applicator and then it went to the digital tampon with, you know, that you just insert with the finger. So I think that there was just a lot more history behind tampons, which is why I wrote a lot more about it. Finally, this is airing the week of the midterms. How do you think talking about our periods can lead to political change for women? Well, I think that, and this is one of the reasons I'm very passionate about periods, is because I think it's one of the most intersectional issues you can come across. Because it's something that no matter who you are, where you're from, what resources you have, how you identify, what you look like, what color your skin is, if you are assigned female at birth, you will most likely get your period for 40 years of your life on a monthly basis. And I think that the fact that that becomes so intersectional across gender, across race, across socioeconomic status is one of the reasons that 
it is something that can create unity across the women's movement very and the movement for reproductive rights. And I think a, a big part of my work ethic and drive comes from my passion for empowering other women. And I think that's because I grew up with a lot of sex abuse and domestic abuse in my family and then experienced sexual assault in high school. And I think that going through that and realizing those experiences are also unfortunately very intersectional as well. And issues like sexual assault and mental health and reproductive rights and abortion are issues that pertain to like all women, but are very stigmatized. And I think that periods are a critical example of something that's very natural that happens to everyone and is much more stigmatized than it should be. And I think that by talking about periods and looping it in with other issues, you can break the stigma and talk about more solutions. So let us know what you're working on, where we can find the book, where people can follow you on social media. I'm on social media at Nadia Okamoto, N-A-D-Y-A-O-K-A-M-O-T-O. And you can find the book wherever books are sold. And yeah, I'm just going to keep working on the book and growing my organization. And lately I've been doing a lot of like Gen Z marketing and consulting. Um, and so I'm just going to continue on with all of that. I know the future is so bright. I'm so <laughs> proud of you. You're so Thank amazing. You. Thanks so much, Nadia, for coming by and for writing Period Power. It's a book that the world seriously needs. The Bustle Huddle is produced by Anna Parsons, Julia Hsu, and Michaela Heck. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely hit us up with comments. We'd love to hear from you. I'm your host, Jada Gomez, and I will see you next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.